0: Welcome to Haunted Hospitality, Southern Stories Told by Spooky Gingers. I'm Robin. And I'm Zoe. And I have a story for you today, but first, Zoe, how's life?
1: Well, um, life is good. Um, Besides you and I talking about TikTok drama for the last, like, 20 minutes. uh, Yeah. (laughs) I actually, my, a group of my friends and I have started doing this, like, bi-weekly Discord call where we literally just sit in the Discord group while on mute And we all write and we're just writing. And then, if like one of us has a question or something, or like wants to get someone else's opinions, we'll unmute and be like, Hey, I'm running into this roadblock. Can anyone help me? And we just like talk through it. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing. Like, the last time we did it, I wrote like 4,000 words. And like, I. Just like it was through that group that a story idea that I had. I was like, I'm I i I'm at point A and I want to get to point E. I just don't know how to do B, C and D. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know what is in the middle. And it was through talking through that group that I got like an amazing idea and I was able to write that outline. And now I'm just like typing away like crazy because I actually know where my story is going. And so it's just a lot of fun. And I'm like, I now have a somewhat goal to maybe self-publish my own book through Amazon by the end of the year.
0: Oh, yay! Yeah. Good for you, Zoe. I'm excited.
1: I'm, I'm hoping that... I keep writing, like, I hope that by December I'm not like, oh, yeah, crap, I forgot I said that. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I should set in a reminder to be like, hey, Zoe, <laughs> it's December 31st. Did you do the thing?
1: Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm glad you found that group. That's really nice. Yeah, it is. How's your life? Life is good. We got uh, an answer, a possible answer to a mystery in a previous episode. Uh, listener Sierra sent us a message because she knows a lot about banknotes. Okay, in early America. Yes, thank you. This is very useful knowledge for us.
1: And so this so, is about the um, the forgotten. No, the the mistress, stranger female, stranger, female stranger.
0: So in our episode to the mystery. To the not the mystery, to Sorry. the memory of a female stranger, <laughs> uh, we were a bit confused because in it the husband basically spends a long time in Alexandria, Virginia, um, kind of living on a con it seems, and then skedaddles, and then people belatedly realize that he was not actually paying them with anything real, and we were like, how did he get away with that for a, an extended period of time? Right. And Sarah is a genius, and she says that. <laughs> Before currency was standardized in the US in 1863, a lot of banks would issue banknotes, meaning that they were backed by gold or silver that the bank held, and they all looked different from each other as they came from different banks. So it was hard to tell which ones were and weren't legit because there was no common standard. So she said smaller towns in some places, people who owned shops would actually have descriptions available to them, or they would make descriptions or whatever, for the different banknotes in the area to protect against forgeries. However, in Alexandria, there are so many people there and they are traveling from all over that they probably just would not have been able to keep up with it at all. And so that's how he would have gotten for so long with either um, baking the banknotes successfully or if he had been giving them real banknotes, And the banks themselves just didn't have the gold necessary to back them.
1: Well, thank you so much. That is a mystery I did not expect to get solved. Thank you, Sierra. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because I was even editing that episode and I remembered us questioning about it while I was editing. And I started Googling old bank notes and I just saw pieces of paper with weird writing on them. And I'm like, I I don't know what I'm looking at. And so I just kind of gave it up.
0: Uh, Apparently, there's an answer. Well, thank you. Thank you. Alright. Oh, do you have
1: something something for us? I do have a something something for us. So I kind I feel like I cheated a little on this one. It took me like five seconds to do. Robin, have you heard about Chat GPT?
0: <laughs> yeah, I have.
1: Okay, so I was playing with Chat GPT, if people don't know. You live under a rock, but basically it's an AI program that you can write a query into and it will give you something. So I saw a TikTok of a woman being like, I have POTS and I am allergic to this. Write me a two week meal plan for somebody with this ailment. right?" And it wrote her a two week meal plan and she was able to follow that. And I was like, so I was just playing around. With it. And I was like, I wonder if there's anything that we can do for haunted hospitality. Like, I know sometimes I'm like, I kind of want to cover a case about this, but I can't find the right words to Google to find a name, basically. And unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you see it, like one time I was like, a list, give me a list of famous arsonists, right? To cover an arsonist Mm -hmm. case. And it was just like, no, sorry, that's violence, and we don't condone violence, so I'm not going to do anything for that. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. But it does give you haunted things. So, And it tells you about Southern things. So I asked for it to generate fun facts about the South, Here are the 10 fun facts it gave me. And I don't know if any of this is accurate. I did not Google it. So if you guys hear it and you're like, "Mm, that's wrong, let me know. Um, (laughs) Fact one, the southeastern United States is home to the longest river in North America, which is the Mississippi River. And it runs from Minnesota to Louisiana.
0: So really, we're partial home to it.
1: Yeah. (laughs) The world famous city of New Orleans Louisiana, is known for its Mardi Gras celebrations, which attract thousands of visitors each year, which is, yep, that's true.
0: attracts.
1: The Great Smoky Mountains National Park, which spans Tennessee and North Carolina, is the most visited national park in the United States. That is true. Uh-huh. The southeastern United States is home to the largest man-made lake in the country, which is Lake Okeechobee in Florida. Okay. Florida is the only state in the southeastern United States with a tropical climate, which makes it a popular destination for beach vacations. The Mm -hmm. southeastern United States is known for its delicious cuisine, including dishes like gumbo, jambalaya, and barbecue. All good. Atlanta, Georgia is home to the busiest airport in the world, the Mm -hmm. Hartsfield-Jackson-Atlanta International Airport. The Appalachian Trail, which stretches over 2,000 miles of, from Maine to Georgia, runs through the southeastern United States. By definition, yes, it would have to. <laughs> the southeastern United States is home to the largest concentration of Civil War battlefields in the country, including the famous battlefield at Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, which tracks. Wait, uh, wait, no, no. The southeast
0: Pennsylvania is not in the southeast.
1: Some people consider Pennsylvania Southern, but I don't know.
0: In what world! <laughs> but I don't
1: know, um, th- I'll get to something in a second. I don't know where ChatGBT draws the line of Southeast.
0: It's not Pennsylvania.
1: It might think literally, OK, South. And East. So like East, including
0: Pennsylvania is not like I'm not even saying culturally. I mean, no, that's true. But they are not South, but they are East.
1: That's what I'm saying. Like it might consider South and East. Okay, okay, Yeah. And then the Southeastern United States is known for its music, including blues, jazz and country with famous musicians Mm -hmm. like Elvis Presley, Dolly Parton and Ray Charles hailing from the region. Where's Ray Charles from? I guess we don't know. I don't. I don't know. I don't know who Ray Charles is.
0: Uh, he's a blind piano player.
1: Really? I think. Okay, now I'm googling. <laughs> what was it, Ray Charles? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was born in Georgia, Albany, Georgia. Did you say
0: Albany, Georgia?
1: <laughs> I did on accident. I was hoping well, you would catch it.
0: Pretty sure that the jazz bar we went to the night of your wedding There was a, I think, Ray Charles autograph up there. Oh, fun. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Just FYI. (laughs) But Robin, Mm -hmm. I I saw that. I was like, cool, that can be a fun something Southern, right?
0: All those
1: facts. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to cheat. So I was like, give me a list of the most haunted locations in the southeastern United States. And there we go. I have a list of things to cover for the next few episodes. Shoot. (laughs) (laughs) And this is where I was like, "Okay, it doesn't know what southeastern means. Um, (laughs) So the first one is one we've covered, the Myrtles Plantation in Louisiana. That was you. Yes, that was me. Um, The next one is the Lump Mansion in Missouri. The what mansion? Lemp.
0: L-E-M-P.
1: The Lemp. Okay, I thought
0: you were saying, like, the Lump Mansion. <laughs> I mean, it still doesn't sound good, but I thought, okay.
1: But it's also in Missouri, so.
0: That's why we haven't heard of it.
1: Uh-huh. And then the next one I handled, it was the Crescent Hotel, Arkansas. Oh, so good. Mm-hmm. And then the next one is another one where it's like, hmm, the Stanley Hotel in Colorado.
0: Yeah, no. That's No. N- no.
1: The next one is the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum in West Virginia.
0: I've almost been there. Really? Like, I think a couple of times, but I haven't gone.
1: Well, it's not Southern. We've determined that West Virginia is not a part of I'm our... allowed
0: to go to places that... No, Southern you're not.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the next one, I I think you briefly covered the Old City Jail in South Carolina. Okay, so... That was part of the Lavinia yeah. Fisher but it wasn't like the main
0: topic. Yes. So we covered the Lavinia Fisher portion of the old city jail as in like, here's her specific haunting. However, I do want to go back and do another old city jail episode because there is a lot to unpack there. And I did not, I went there. I did not experience anything ghostly there. However, if there has been a place that I went to a ghost tour at where I did experience something ghostly, it was there. I don't know how to explain it other than I thought I saw something out of the corner of my eye and that doesn't usually happen.
1: Yeah, I think you've shared that story on the pod.
0: Okay. But yep. I'll do it again. One, two, three. That's
1: fine. For the third time. <laughs> <laughs> the next one we have covered, the Bell Witch Cave in Tennessee.
0: Yep. And the cave has absolutely nothing
1: to do with the witch right no the, that's that's where they thought the witch was and that's where they found the quote-unquote ancient indian burial
0: ground uh, yes okay yeah okay
1: um the next one we covered but it wasn't very haunted is the sally house kansas
0: oh we we, we something did something something yeah yeah something spooky <laughs>
1: Because Kansas isn't South. Kansas isn't South. Kansas isn't South. <laughs> um, the Peabody Whitehead Mansion in Alabama, which we have not covered. And that's Southern. So that's I like, don't think I've heard of that. That's the first one on this list that we have not covered. And it is Southern.
0: Okay, I'm going to write that down, actually. Okay. If I write, I mean type Peabody. Why am I searching for it? I don't know how to operate computer. Peabody Whitehead Mansion. And
1: it's Peabody I, Dash Whitehead. I I think Google will still be able to like. Oh, I, I didn't really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay. then the last one I've heard of, we haven't covered. It's in the south, is the Battery Carriage House in in South Carolina.
0: Yes. Okay. So I really want us to cover it because I, it, it is. When you're ever in Charleston, there Charleston has a billion fantastic ghost tours, and they always bring up the Battery Carriage House, and that is the one that, other than Living a Fisher, that's the story that scared me the most. However, early on when we were doing our podcast, um, we did an episode Zoe in homage to another podcast. Yes, Sparks Brew um,
1: and a Casket for Two. They did a listen. Yes. in their crossover episode with us. They covered mm-hmm. this right.
0: Yes, so I didn't want to do it earlier because I wanted to give their one breathing room. <laughs> However, now I really want to cover
1: it. <laughs> yeah, everything Charleston, I'm giving Robin full control you don't over. You
0: have to. I, However, know, but I do you're love so, that you're doing it.
1: You're so passionate about Charleston. Like to me, that would be like if you went to New Orleans every single episode and you're like, I'm gonna cover every single haunted thing in New Orleans so you never get a chance to do it.
0: Do you want me to leave New Orleans for you? You Because I've done a couple New Orleans.
1: You don't have to, like, leave the whole city for me. It's okay. There's enough. Should I
0: just leave a section? (laughs) Should I leave the French Quarter for you?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That works. (laughs)
0: French Quarter is yours first. We're, like, cutting off our territory. We're
1: quartering off the city.
0: Okay. I don't get... Oh, Quarter. Okay, because Quarters. Uh Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Uh Actually... Well, off topic, can I tell you, like, one of my kind of unexpected favorite place for ghost stories, just because, like, the ghost stories that come out of it really terrify me? Hmm. Virginia. Y'all are haunted.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I can see that.
0: I just had to shout out Virginia for a second. Y'all. Virginia. Y'all got some ghosts. Virginia.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that is all um, thanks to ChatGPT. Um, So do you have a story for us, Robin.
0: I do. I do. I am talking today about the assassination of John F. Kennedy.
1: OK, cool. Yes. <laughs> I've been there. Oh, to Dallas? Yeah. Well, I, okay. I, I stood on the spot because they have the road marked with an X where he was shot. Really? And I've stood really? on that spot.
0: It's okay. in the middle of an
1: intersection, so I don't really recommend doing it but I don't just
0: stand there you can you can cross there oh I'm sorry
1: not an intersection a busy road but yeah I did wait don't do it I did wait for like cars to stop and then we were jaywalking and then I stopped for a minute and then looked at the building that supposedly he was shot from and then I continued walking
0: that's really morbid (laughs) thank you it's a really morbid thing to do
1: we were gonna go to the museum but it ended up being like 50 bucks a head or something like that okay Okay. (laughs) anyway Um... sorry continue (laughs)
0: <laughs> all right uh, well john fitzgerald sorry john fitzgerald not fitzgerald kennedy was born in 1917 in massachusetts he was a member of the kennedys i don't know if you've heard of them yeah <laughs> uh, a very well-off family where it was clear that they were raised for big powerful futures from a young age John was in the Navy for four years when he was a young man, and he was actually able to save the men that he was leading. And so he when he was discharged, he was regarded as a war hero from a very early age as a young adult. And unfortunately, from his time in the Navy, he had a back injury and coupled with an adrenal disease he had, he actually lived his day to day life often in a lot of pain, though I believe this was generally kept from the American public, kind of similarly to the way they kept Franklin Roosevelt's like disability away Mm -hmm. from the American public. It had always been the parents thinking that the oldest son, Joe, would become a politician. However, Joe died when he was young. So when they they called him Jack, okay. Jack Kennedy. So when Jack came back from war, the kind of the intention to have a political career fell to him as the second oldest. And so he diverted his plans, which had previously been he wanted to be a journalist or a professor. And so he diverted it quickly and successfully to politics. So he was discharged in 1945. And in 1946, he ran for Congress and he won a seat in the House of Representatives at the age of 29. So he became a senator in 1953 after serving three terms as a representative. And soon after he became a senator, he married Jacqueline Bouvier, who is now known as Jackie Kennedy, or you may also know her as Jackie Kennedy Onassis. So he had been a senator until he started running for president in 1960, and TV likely played a role in him getting elected. I'm not saying he was a bad candidate. I'm not saying he wasn't right for the job, but I am saying that he was a good-looking guy, (laughs) and people were just kind of now having TVs in their houses as a norm, and they would turn on the TV and be like, oh, look at that good-looking guy running for president. Look at his pretty wife. And so there was kind of a famous example, in Zoe, I don't know if you remember this from high school U.S. history or something, but where it was a debate between JFK and Richard Nixon, they were running against each other. JFK was a Democratic nominee, Richard Nixon was a Republican nominee, and they were in a debate. And it was broadcast both over radio and over television. And it was a split decision as to who won, because for radio... People who listened in said, either said they tied or they said that Richard Nixon won. However, people who watched it were all like, oh, Kennedy won. That's hilarious. (laughs) It really is. Because, again, (laughs) Kennedy was at he was around 43 at this point. So he was relatively young, especially for somebody running for president. He was attractive, and Richard Nixon was none of those things. (laughs) And, I mean, also there's a little bit of body language that comes into it as well, because Richard Nixon was also, I believe, fidgeting, and he was sweating, and he was, like, wiping away his sweat. Meanwhile, JFK just suave, knows how to be in front of cameras. So
1: this is going to sound really ignorant, but was this before or after Richard Nixon was president?
0: This is before. Okay, so So Nixon was after... Yes, Nixon okay. was after. So, okay, brief history lesson. And <laughs> if I get this wrong, ah, I'm so sorry.
1: <laughs> um, you know more than after me.
0: JFK, after JFK, his vice president Lyndon Johnson, Lyndon B. Johnson became president. Lyndon B. Johnson was reelect was ended up being elected himself to the presidency after carrying out JFK's term. I cannot remember if he was elected yet again. I actually don't think he was. No, 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 I don't think he was cuz I think he chose not to run again. Okay. And then I think after that is when Nixon came up. And then Nixon, of course, was elected twice and then quit halfway through or somewhere through the second one because Watergate came to light and all of his advisors were like, you are going to not only be impeached, but you are going to be convicted by the Senate and therefore removed from office. So why don't you just get ahead of it and get out?
1: Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) So
0: (laughs) anyway, Kennedy was elected to president uh in what year was that 1960 1960 uh-huh. yes and he and Jackie were extraordinarily popular in general again tvs loved them americans loved them they were considered the all-american family they had two young kids the second of which was born only 17 days after jfk came into office as the president And they were really, really widely regarded, but their public image was also incredibly curated. And so there's a lot of people who did and continue to like just idolize JFK as like kind of the perfect president is my understanding of it. However, there were real issues behind the scenes, including like within the marriage, he cheated on her and stuff. It wasn't perfect. However, people really saw it as perfect at the time. And the presidency itself, I think I don't want to put words in this man's mouth but I think a lot of people who become president from what I hear tend to find it is so so much harder than they anticipated it being and not to say anybody thinks well I'm going to become president and it's going to be easy but the office and the responsibilities and the decisions you have to make really weigh on people and the image that is brought up a lot when people have these conversations is the before and after pictures of Obama yes I
1: was thinking Uh of that (laughs)
0: ages you yeah <laughs> more than eight years went by for obama okay uh, yeah much more than eight years went by and jfk was not immune to this sensation and apparently he would frequently quote some guy lame- named lord Morley. i did not look into who this guy was in particular but he would quote this guy as saying politics is one long second best where the choice often lies between two blunders wow that's an interesting quote. Yeah. I think that's a very true quote. So some of the things that were going on behind the scenes, actually, this was not behind the scenes, sorry. Some of the things that were going on in general politics, both within the U.S. and in the world was, you might have heard of this, the Cold War.
1: Oh, yeah, that thing. I know about that. <laughs> that- I do. I do know about <laughs> that. Just <laughs> so- <laughs> you said it, like, Damn, I was like, uh- <laughs> uh, wait, that sounded a little sarcastic. No, I know. Yeah, I, I do know about the Cold War.
0: Okay, well, the Cold War was a long-held dispute between the Soviet Union and the U.S., and it never ended up quite being a true war, though it was kind of a decades-long will-they-won't-they situation, except it was about, like, nuclear war. And there's a lot to unpack about that, but we're not going to do that because that's not what the podcast is about. So at the risk of horrendously oversimplifying things, the Soviet Union— and Cuba also were communist. US didn't like it. They didn't like us. It was not great. Yeah. And Kennedy was brought into the presidency at like the apex of the situation. And in fact, there was a little something happened called the Cuban Missile Crisis right. where and I I like completely forgot all of my US history when I was researching this. So I was like, "Okay, what's that again? What's that again? What's that again?" But that was a moment where the Soviet Union and the U.S. almost got to nuclear war with each other. Like, I think we had, like, the weapons ready. And we were like that TikTok girl who tried a certain kind of Dr. Pepper and is like, no. Well, maybe. No. <laughs> well, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but Kennedy is credited with defusing that situation. All right. And so now we get into 1963. Jackie gives birth to another son, Patrick, in August. However, the son passes away just two days later, Mm -hmm. and she takes a break. I don't know if she takes a break from public appearances, but she does take a break from, like, traveling long stretches of public appearance time, you know, that kind of thing, for a few months until, as we'll come to see, in November. So... At this point, JFK, because America has ridiculously long campaigns, he is starting to gear up for the 1964 election year. And everybody knew he hadn't announced yet at this point, but everybody knew he was definitely going to run. And he was an extraordinary popular first-term president. Most first-term presidents got reelected again, and so it was people thinking he was likely going to win. But on November 12th, he and his team started to officially plan for this campaign. And JFK said specifically, Florida and Texas were going to be really, really important states for him to win. So for us, we know Texas as primarily a Republican state, at least as voting in presidential elections. However, in the times of the 50s and the 60s, it was much more back and forth between Democratic and Republican. JFK, as a Democrat, had won Texas in 1960, but it was from a very narrow margin, and that was with having Lyndon B. Johnson, who was from Texas, be his VP. So also, I like politics. Can you tell from this (laughs) story? (laughs) So he was thinking, okay, I'm going to go to Texas for... It was actually going to be two days, but he was going to go to five different cities and there were a few reasons for this. One was to, to bolster his chances of winning the state there when it comes time, and the other one was because there was a lot of infighting among top Democrats, including Texas Governor John Connolly, and he thought, okay, let's just try to see if we can help out what's actually going on there. There was also a bit of upheaval in Texas, at least previously, Dallas in particular, because the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations had been harassed there when he was there just a month earlier. They spat on him and one woman hit him with a protest sign in the head. <laughs> and, Sorry. And I know, I know, like it's, he's fine. Yeah, well. Yeah. He After the hit, he was okay, fine. Okay, okay, okay. He did tell JFK, JFK's team that it was a, quote, ugly and frightening scene down there, and he did not want the president to go to Dallas. However, the president went to Dallas anyway. They were planning to go for two days, like I said, and they were leaving on November 21st, 1963. And Jackie was going to accompany him. This was going to be the first time that she was really out at one of these longer traveling stretches for specifically public appearance purposes since she had lost her son back in August. So they went to San Antonio on November 21st, then to Houston, then to Fort Worth, where he spent the night. And that morning of November 22nd, he woke up in Fort Worth, gave a speech in the rain to thousands of people who had gathered outside of his hotel before speaking at a breakfast, driving to the airport and taking a 13 minute flight to Dallas. When they arrived in Dallas, it was a little bit before noon. They shook hands for a while with people before getting into the back seat of a dark blue 1961 Lincoln Continental convertible. This convertible had an option to include a plastic top to ward against bad weather, but it wasn't raining anymore, so they didn't include the plastic top as they set off in the motorcade. So it was Jackie and JFK in the back seat, and in front of them were the Texas governor, John Connolly, and his wife, the First Lady of Texas, Nellie Connolly, And VP Lyndon B. Johnson and his wife, Lady Bird Johnson, were in a different car. So the motorcade itself was going to last for 10 miles. It could have been a much shorter trip. They were going to this place called the Dallas Market Center for a luncheon that he would speak at. However, it was purposefully winding through downtown in a path set by the Secret Service earlier and announced to the general public... Because they wanted people to gather around the streets and see the president as he goes by. And this was going to this ended up being like a crowd of 150,000 to 200,000 people who came out to watch. So the car set out at 1140 a.m. And they were a little bit behind schedule because there had been a couple stops that the president had asked for along the way. My guess is to greet people. I don't think he was saying, let's stop at the CVS. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that. And they were getting to this place called the Dealey Plaza, which was a kind of a park area in the center of the city at 1230. And Nellie, who again was the first lady of Texas, turned around in her seat to remark on the crowd's adoration. She told JFK, Mr. President, you can't say Dallas doesn't love you. And he said back, no, you certainly can't. Uh-huh. <sighs> yeah. The car turned onto to Elm Street. And that is when the first bullet fired. So not everyone recognized what it was at first. Some people thought it could have been a firecracker, for example. But Governor Connolly and Jackie Kennedy both seemed to immediately know that something was going on because they were both looking around them as it happened. Connolly himself recognized it as the sound of a rifle going off. And he tried to look behind him toward the president, but he didn't see Kennedy at that point. However, his wife, when she turned around to look, did see Kennedy. And she said that she saw him lifting his arms up so that his hands were covering his face and his throat. And at that point, that was because the first bullet had entered his upper back and mm. had exited his throat. And so he was actually pulling up his arms and raising them as fists in front of him is like a reaction to it. And he leaned into Jackie And kind of fell into her almost. And she put her arms around him. She held him. And at this point, Nellie up in the front seat looks to the governor and she hears another shot. And this time the governor is shot in the back. And I think this might be the same bullet. I'm not completely sure because there's a lot of there's multiple investigations on this. Some of them have slightly different answers to these things. And a lot of it is guesses as to which bullets did what damage. Whether it was the same bullet or not, he was shot in the back and also got his wrist, shattered the bone just completely into eight pieces I saw. And then the bullet also went into his thigh. And actually this created for him a wound in his chest that was actually sucking in air, which was really, really bad because he'd also had a collapsed lung. Mm -hmm. And so the only thing that ended up saving him because he ended up being fine was the fact that his wife... As they sped away, which they haven't sped away yet, but she ended up on the way to the hospital, uh, pulling him into her lap, which ended up almost by coincidence, putting something over the wound in his chest. So it wasn't bringing in air. And I think they were saying that's like a key reason why he didn't actually die, because these were really extensive wounds, too. Oh, wow. And so then the third shot came. And at this point, it was body matter, including pieces of the president's skull spraying out into the car and beyond the car and all these three shots happened in a matter of five seconds Oof. at the final shot jackie started to climb to the back hood of the convertible a secret service agent after he heard the first shot was in the process of running to the car during those five seconds to protect the president he did, just did not get there in time but when he got to the back hood jackie went back into her seat she would later say that she actually had no memory of Going to the back hood at all, but the Secret Service agent, by his understanding of it, he believes that she was reaching for a piece of the president's head that oh, had flown back. She was just trying to thinking. gather things. yeah, no, no. And she said that she remembers on the way because at this point, the car sped off that they're in and just goes, there's a oh, hospital a few minutes away, and it's called parkland Parkland Memorial, maybe, but Parkland something. And the car immediately speeds off from the motorcade to that. And on the way there, she is holding his head. And she is trying to hold everything in place. Mm. And both the governor and his wife in the front seat say that they heard her say, like, over and over, they have killed my husband. I have his brains in my hand. She was, like, in shock as this was happening. When Kennedy arrived at the hospital he was still alive and breathing his personal do- I, i'm shocked i really oh my god i saw because i saw later that he was pronounced dead at the hospital i assumed that was just because they hadn't pronounced it before but no he was alive he was breathing his personal doctor was also in dallas he got at the hospital a few minutes after kennedy did he went to check on him and he he was breathing and the secret service people said he was breathing But the doctor knew, like, there's absolutely nothing they could do. Like, and I don't think that this was a, well, there's nothing they can do in the 60s. I think that this is a, there's nothing they can do, period, situation. So they called a Catholic priest to administer last rites to him. And then he was pronounced dead at 1 p.m. after all signs of life had gone. And this was just 30 minutes after the shots had first rung out. Wow. And at 2.38 p.m., Lyndon B. Johnson, who, again, was also in Dallas was sworn in as President of the United States. He took the oath of office in Air Force One after JFK's body had been boarded onto the plane so they could take it back to D.C. And this was typically, the oath of office was typically, I don't know if the word is administered by, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. However, in this case, they had a district judge give it. And Jackie Kennedy stood beside him as he took the oath of office and she was still wearing the clothes that she had on in the car, which still had remnants of her husband's blood on them. I think I've seen a photo of that. There is a very, very famous photo of that. Yes. So back to the Dealey Plaza area. Soon after the shots, people started telling police, like very soon after it, people started telling police that they heard shots coming from a building, the one you were referencing earlier, that was really close by. It's called the Texas School Book Depository. So investigators went there and a supervisor said that an employee of theirs who had just recently been hired, Lee Harvey Oswald, wasn't where he was supposed to be. He's like, he should be here, he's not here. And another employee, I don't, it said testified. So I guess this was later, but honestly, I I don't really know. But another employee did see him earlier that day entering the building and Lee Harvey Oswald was holding a long brown paper bag. And he was like, what's in the brown paper bag? And Lee Harvey Oswald said curtain rods. So anyway, the police were like, okay, so it's this guy. And (laughs) uh, (laughs) they did. And they were... Made aware of what Oswald looked like, and they made sure I. They must have made sure that that information was broadcasted out. And so, a little bit later, an officer named J.D. Tippett was patrolling a neighborhood, and he saw Oswald, and he recognized him from the description, and called him over to the car. And Tippit exited the car. I think they talked for a bit before he did, but Tippett exited the car, and Oswald fatally shot him four times then ran away so actually this was another killing that happened that day and i had no idea there was another person who died i didn't either but yeah he had killed him jd tippett so oswald ran to a nearby theater where he went in without paying and i'm i believe that this has to have meant that everybody in dallas knew to be on the lookout for somebody suspicious because like they saw him go in without paying, paying and then a manager told this ticket guy to call the police, and they, I'm sure, would not have done that. Like, that's that's a, not a police situation otherwise. Or at least I assume nobody would have done that otherwise. But I think they must have been on the lookout for people acting suspicious. This guy was acting suspicious. So police got there, and Lee Harvey Oswald was arrested at around, or a little bit before, 1.40 p.m. So that was just a little bit after JFK was pronounced dead. So this all has happened. I say that because... This all happened really, really quickly. Yeah. Yes. The big question is why? Why did he do it? Yeah. And a lot of people, and a lot of people still, because a lot of people have a lot of thoughts, <laughs> are wondering that same question. But Leo Harvey B. Oswald was born in 1939. So if my math is correct which I think it is, but it might not be. He was around 24 when he shot JFK. He had previously been in the Marines, serving in the Philippines and in Japan. However, he was having a bit of a difficult time with his officers, it sounds like. Apparently, he shot himself in the elbow on accident with a handgun that he was not supposed to have. Okay. Yeah, I know, that's a weird situation. And he and an officer got into an argument about it, and he was demoted and court-martialed because of it. And in 1959, he was put on reserve when he was around 20 years old, because he said his mother was in bad health. Soon after that, he went to the Soviet Union, which because of the tensions between the Soviets and the US, this is considered a really huge rebuke of the US. And he, it is said like he, I saw that he was Marxist, it seems like he has like a lot of communist beliefs, and which was at odds with how the US was at that time. And he... Moved there for a while. He worked in a factory. He stayed there for a few years. He ended up marrying a woman named Marina Prusikova, and they had a child together in 1962. Okay. Later that year, he came back to the U.S. and moved near Dallas. And it's believed that in March 1963, he unsuccessfully tried to assassinate the U.S. general as well. I don't know if they knew that at the time or if this is something they later realized the time. There were so many investigations, the timeline of when certain information came out is honestly kind of confusing to me. And, like I said earlier, he had just started working at the Texas School Book Depository before the killing. So that way he would I don't know if he I don't know when he started it. It would be interesting to know if he started it after the the route, route became public because then it's clear like he did that for that purpose, yeah, versus someone who maybe just took the opportunity, yeah. Oswald was arrested. Two days after he was arrested, about two days, he was being escorted from the Dallas police headquarters, where he'd been held since his arrest, to a jail. And at that point, he was shot. He was shot by a man named Jack Ruby, who owned a nightclub in Dallas. And this was actually broadcast on live TV, because they were broadcasting his transfer. And Jack Ruby kind of Came up, and I don't know if he came up, like, fully in view of the broadcast camera, but he did in front of another camera. So it's actually, like, an image of the shot, and it actually won a Pulitzer Prize, but he shot him really, really, really close Mm. and in the chest. Was it, like, an act of patriotism? Is that why? So... Jack Ruby gave somewhat potentially contradictory statements as to why he did this. At first, he said that he didn't want Jackie Kennedy to have to go through a trial on top of what she had already suffered. But he also said that it was a split second decision that he had not planned. And to me, those two things don't quite sound the same. Maybe you can be there in the moment and be like, she shouldn't have to go through this and then do it. But like, you also were there with the gun. Anyway, Oswald ended up dying two hours later at the same hospital where JFK was pronounced dead. And Jack Ruby ended up being convicted for the murder, um, though he appealed it and the conviction was overturned. However, he needed to have a new trial and was in prison in the meantime and died in 1967, just four years after the murders, in the same hospital as the other two. So they all died in this one hospital. That's like weird detail, right? Yeah, that's,
1: that's weird. weird. That's very weird.
0: Okay, because I, I thought it was weird that like, maybe not weird, but like almost ironic. I don't know if that's the right word that Harvey Lee Harvey Oswald ended up dying in the same, in the same one as JFK. And then I learned Jack Ruby and I was like, what's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> what conspiracy? <laughs> I'm not actually thinking that this is a conspiracy. Hold up. Yeah,
1: no, no, no. There's enough JFK conspiracies. <laughs> we
0: don't need to add the hospital to it. Yeah. So... Okay, I, I do have two things to say about the fact that, like, Jack Ruby shot him. One is, okay, blanket statement, don't shoot people. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. that's my first statement. <laughs> Second statement is that shooting him meant that- They couldn't get the closure. It left it open to a lot of questions. And those questions were, was Lee Harvey Oswald alone? Was he the only one to do it? And the best person to answer those questions is now dead. Yeah. Even if he wouldn't answer those questions directly, the best hope you have at finding out exactly the reasoning behind why the president was shot at finding out if there's any lingering security threat, which should have would have been a very important question at that point. You don't you you don't have that answer anymore. There's
1: probably a conspiracy theory that the person who shot Oswald shot him because he was part of the same group and didn't want Oswald answering those questions.
0: I'm absolutely positive that has to be another conspiracy theory of it. If I should think of
1: it in two seconds, I'm sure the internet.
0: In the past, uh, however many years?
1: You said the 60s, '60s? so... Yeah, this was
0: 1963, so this would be year 60. Yeah. We're in 2023.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. November 22nd, okay.
0: I'm
1: like, that doesn't seem right.
0: (laughs) No, it does, though. (laughs) A... New York Times article came out the day he died. And this was by James Reston. And the reason I read this is, I mean, like, one, it's valuable to know what people were thinking. Also, like, I've lately been having a big interest in finding out how people were thinking about things, how people were reacting to things in the moment as big history was unfolding in front of them. And I think for me, it's a little bit of a reaction with covid and january 6 because i i almost think wonder for me if it's like a way of reprocessing it because like i will go back like between news or seeing like replayings of like broadcast of like the moment people realize oh wait something is like going wrong here yeah and i think i think like it's like for me i think it's like a way of processing it i especially Mostly, especially after COVID, because I did it like in the year after I did it in 2020. I I was about to say the year after 2020. I did it in 2021, reading like kind of a book about it. And it was honestly a weird experience to read and go back and experience that again. But I also think maybe I needed to do it. I, I don't know. But oh, yeah. I say that because there's a huge difference in between the way we experience history in hindsight and the way people live it in the moment, because when you're in hindsight, You can be analytical, you can see cause and effect better. But when you're in the moment, you have, you have the benefit of emotional bias, you see like the real emotions of it, and what people were feeling about themselves. And so I wanted to go back and see what was being said in the moment, the evening that this happened. And so a New York Times article, like I said, came out the day he died. So it must have been published in the evening and Hold on the day JFK died or Oswald day JFK okay. died sorry and it was stressing that in multiple ways he had spent his presidency trying to keep violence at bay uh, and at least that was their understanding of him at the time and it seemed to be reflecting on fears they had as to the direction America was heading as it came to violence, which I find very interesting, especially now, because like, for example, it quoted the House Speaker of the time as saying, my God, my God, what are we coming to? And the article went on to say the irony of the president's death is that his short administration was devoted almost entirely to various attempts to curb this very streak of violence in the American character. And I I do, I'm going to get a little bit more into later into this episode about How I think maybe current gun violence is influencing some thoughts, perhaps, on what actually happened or an understanding of what actually happened. But I'm just going to let that sit for a second and get a little bit into what happened more immediately following JFK's death. So he had kind of a multi-day funeral, as a lot of public figures do. The first part took place the same day as Oswald was shot and killed, so two days after he died. It was a ceremony that was modeled after Abraham Lincoln's own funeral, because Jackie made a point as to wanting the funerals to be very similar. They were were both assassinated in office. JFK's casket was taken from the White House to the Capitol, pulled by horses, and he lay in the Capitol Rotunda in state for 21 hours, and 250,000 people came to the Rotunda to pay respects. He was buried the next day in Arlington National Cemetery, you know, where other veterans are buried. And there was, after this, a commission to investigate his assassination. It was called the Warren Commission. It was also investigating Oswald's death because they wanted to know if there was anything really behind the scenes that they should be aware of. The commission itself lasted 10 months, and it found that both Lee Harvey Oswald and Jack Ruby were acting alone when they shot JFK and Oswald, respectfully. And it depicted Lee Harvey Oswald as somewhat of a sociopath, that he shot the president because he wanted to shoot the president. I read in an article about the document release. So there was, in December, I think of last year, there was around 13,000 documents related to this, invest. maybe not this investigation specifically, but just all the investigations on JFK. 13,000 documents came out, and people were parceling through them as they do. And so this was an interview about the document release by UVA Today with Steve Gillen, who is a professor of history and focuses specifically on presidents. And in it, Gillen said that the subsequent investigations into Oswald point to the fact that there may have been a political underpinning to the murder. And apparently that was something that was not included in the Warren Commission because it was maybe so focused on the character aspect of like sociopath. But I always for me assumed that Lee Harvey Oswald must have had a political underpinning to it you don't just shoot a president because you want to shoot a random person I mean yeah what have you thought about that Zoe I mean I haven't before today <laughs> okay.
1: I mean I have always assumed
0: that it was a political
1: assassination and use. yeah
0: like when you it's not talk- like I was like five years old thinking to myself why did Lee Harvey Oswald do this no I'm saying like I assumed it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, Okay. But, I mean, like, and you saying, like, he lived in USSR for a few years and has a wife and child over there. It's like, oh, this sounds like maybe he got recruited while he was living there and came back to the state specifically to kill JFK. I
0: didn't actually think about that. Oh. Maybe. I assumed, like, by political undermining underpinning i meant like he didn't like his politics well, but so you you're on the soviet conspiracy bandwagon
1: <laughs> I, I wouldn't say i believe that but that was a thought process i had
0: okay okay yeah okay so that was the warren commission it took 10 months and they were like nope just these two guys nothing else 13 years later there was a house let committee committee that started investigating it again because there had been allegations that some agencies had not been cooperating during the initial investigation. So the report came out in 1979, so it took three years, and they found they believed that there were two shooters, not just Oswald. And this was apparently because there was a tape from police radio, something like that, where it indicated to them that there were at least four, if not more, shots. However, in the same breath that I read that, it then said that after the report was issued, people who are experts at sounds, um, which I don't know how you get that job, but thank you, uh, <laughs> <laughs> listened to the tapes and were like, Nah, th- these tapes are not evidence or something. So that was like disputed. And everybody, it said like 80% of people who were there said they heard three shots. Okay. And there were three shells or whatever okay found at the scene but i think that maybe like by reviving it in the 70s again it probably just if the conspiracy theories were going to die it really brought them back to life perhaps yeah And it is not a fringe conspiracy theory that people believe that there was more than one person involved in the plot to assassinate him. As of 2013, 61% of Americans believe that there were other people involved, according to a Gallup poll. And among those who might be involved, they were like, well, Fidel Castro, the U.S. government, the CIA, the mafia... (laughs) And in fact, this level of belief, which, by the way, is kind of insane because presidents do not get voted at in at 61%. This is a huge thing that the American people are rallying behind together. This is really bringing us together. Um, but between the years of 1976 and 2003, which, again, 1976 is when the commission started, just uh-huh. like to say, or the house investigation thing. But between the years of nineteen seventy-six and two thousand three, the percentage of Americans who believed others were involved fluctuated between seventy-four percent and eighty-one percent. Wow. So for twenty thirteen it to be sixty-one percent, that's actually a dip. Yeah. I'm shocked so many people believe this. I mean, I think
1: until you were talking about it, I thought that it was proven that there was another person that at least attempted to mm-hmm. shoot really uh, yeah i i remember like i mean i'm not like a history buff and i but i do find conspiracy theories amusing sometimes
0: yeah, and yeah
1: you know like the whole, i'm not not to go into 911 but like you know how um sometime, so many
0: conspiracy theories yeah
1: but like you know how they say like there's a slogan that usually comes from popular conspiracy theories like in 911 it's jet fuel can't melt steel beams like i've heard that oh, yeah. i heard that phrase so many times before i even knew what it was referencing okay so mm-hmm. one of the slogans that i've heard about the jfk thing is that you can't curve bullets. And I learned after hearing that multiple times, like, that there is a theory that there were two shooters because if you look at the angle that he was shooting from, from that building, he wouldn't have been able to unless he curved the bullet or something like that. Like, so... Okay. I've heard conspiracies that there either was another person in a different building who Mm -hmm. shot one of the bullets... Or that there was like somebody on the ground who shot one of the bullets. Gotcha. But I don't know again how valid they are because I don't no, 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 think no, no, they yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're <laughs> just...
0: I think that like, this proves just like how prevalent these theories are. Like we're all. I've heard other JFK. I've heard conspiracy theories that were like I've heard of them, and also okay, you watch Bones, right? I wasn't there a full episode about JFK no um yes actually
1: okay yeah Yeah, sorry sorry i thought you were so booth the fbi agent that bones falls in love with he's a descendant of john wilkes booth which is an
0: interesting choice but Uh... um
1: but the reason they did that was because he did not have security clearance to work on the bones that they brought and so he was, like, separated from Bones, and he was upset about it while she was doing the bot. So basically, the episode, it wasn't confirmed, but the whole team yeah. believed that the super secret body that they're not allowed to talk about, they believe they brought the JFK remains to the Smithsonian for Bones to determine the cause of death. So, yeah. Okay.
0: I mean, that is...
1: 100% fictional. A, an
0: exper- Yeah, no, 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 yes. Yeah. But that is a conspiracy theory. like. Being like the driving plot of a major television... I don't... It's Bones a major television show. I feel it, like it should have been. It
1: it's, was good. It's like number one in my heart. Temperance Brennan is oh, my love. Anyway.
0: She's great. Okay. <laughs> but um, I just wanted to say it should be noted that early on in the whole investigate... Well, right after the assassination, people were polling at 52% believe there was more than one person involved. And then right after that, or a few years after that, it was 50%. So... Thoughts on this really did pick up over time, possibly as more people had more time to think about it and things build, things build, they build, they build. But theories include as to who might be involved with it. There's a big Cuba theory um, because, uh, well, one of the things is that in September, late September, early October, I think, Lee Harvey Oswald went to Mexico City and seemed to kind of like be going back and forth between the Cuban consulate in the soviet union embassy over there and people were like was anybody talking to him but there we just don't know and there was also at least one plot heard of from the u.s government trying to oust fidel castro from cuban government so there was tensions were active between those and also robert kennedy didn't talk to investigators about this during the initial investigation i think because he didn't want to Give away that specific information. But Robert Kennedy was the attorney general and JFK's brother. Yeah. Just so everybody knows. But so that Cuba was a big theory. And then also people were wondering the mafia because Robert Kennedy was investigating the mafia through the Justice Department. And so they were just like, was this a mafia hit? It's who knows? Yeah. Who knows what it is? But I did want to say that among all of these things, the Guy who did that interview I read earlier said, quote, we need his death to have a larger meaning. It is hard to accept it was a senseless act of violence, end quote. And actually, I think I highly disagree with that as America is now. Because we are surrounded by senseless acts of violence. It does not, I don't think there needs to be a conspiracy behind it. Like we are surrounded by lone wolves, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. That's a thing that happens regularly. Lone wolves quotes go into places and shoot people because they are upset for some reason. Yes,
1: but mm-hmm. it's as horrible as the sentence may sound. It's different going to a public atmosphere where you can just walk in and just start shooting versus... Politically, like visually assassinating the president of the United States, you know, I'm, like the president has security guards and teams that sweep buildings, mm-hmm. and like it, the difficulty Disney. weather, le, like it, the difficulty level is extremely different between assassinating the president and just walking into a public park and shooting, and so. I feel like when it comes to if you want to so badly assassinate this one person that you'd go through all of this, there has to be a deeper meaning to it than I don't like his
0: politics. But was it hard? Would it have been hard to do it in these circumstances? Did they sweep the building first?
1: I feel like since there was a Secret Service, like, I know the Secret Service then wasn't nearly as intense as the Secret Service is now. Probably for this reason. Yes. Probably for this incident. But I feel, don't they normally, like, pre-close street? Like, they plotted the the route that they would drive through. So they'd be closing streets and probably having security cards at every corner and all of that. So, mm-hmm. so I feel I mean, maybe I am looking at it to, with a too modern scope, but I feel like I mean, look at it with the modern scope. That's okay. kind of what I was doing. But yeah, so I, I guess I would say yes, but it has to be hashtag deep for you to kill the president rather than just go to a random area and just kill random people like as, as much mm-hmm. as that is horrible you know
0: i feel like there's a specificity to it yeah and a certain barrier to being able to do it
1: yeah like killing the president is about killing the president but being a mass shooter is about your own issues
0: that's a really really interesting point zoe well thank Thank you you for bringing that up
1: (laughs) and I, i i apologize if i like was not sensitive enough while i was trying to find my way through that
0: no, I, I think I get what you mean. It's all about like the specificity of intent. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think you got there. Thank you. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, basically, to round up this episode, I just have a listening recommendation for people okay. because there's a podcast that I have really liked listening to called The History Chicks and they do biographical episodes on famous women in history and they have a fantastic episode on Jackie Kennedy, who is a really, really interesting person. So I recommend you go and listen to them. It's really good. All right. Okay, well, everyone, thank you for listening to today's episode. Uh, if you enjoyed it, please rate, review, tell a friend, and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com/hauntedhospitality. For just three dollars a month, you get a new episode with us. Yes, and it comes out on the thirteenth because we are spooky. If
1: you want to see Robin's sources, you can head over to hauntedhospitality.wordpress.com. Or if you have your own spooky story, anywhere in the world, true crime or supernatural, you can write to us at hauntedhospitalitypodcast at gmail.com. Or you can slide into our DMs.
0: Yes, we are on Twitter at Haunted House. We are also on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Haunted Hospitality. We hope to see you there. Stay Stay spooky. spooky!